Hello, boys and ghouls. And welcome to a fulfilling episode. All about the 1985 movie. About a delicious dessert. Which raised the question, Are you eating it? Or is it eating you? So, join us for a heaping helping of horror as we examine just what is it that makes the stuff so good. Is it the stuff's delicious director, Larry Cohen? Is it the way the cast really chews the scenery? Is it this frightening film's steady diet of screams and laughter? Find out as the incredible edible duo of the Boys and Ghouls podcast dig to the bottom of why we can't get enough of the stuff. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Zombies, exploding heads. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Ain't nothing but dead folks. I want to kill the undead. So you ever talk to a corpse? Satan is our pal. It's boring. Throw the third switch! Look! The third switch! Give my creation! Okay. Hey, Kat. Hi, Marshall. Uh, sometimes you and I go a while without garnering much spooky gab. And then, I don't know about you, but I've actually gone out of my way. It's like, oh, man, it's like been a month. I'd better, I'd better go do something at least I peripheral to spooky. That. I should more often do what you're talking about, which is say, I'd better do something to come up with some interesting conversation for the spooky times. Well, it's gotten me out of the house. It's nice when it's just sort of like me living my life. And then I'm like, guess what I'm up to? And other times I've got to make more of an effort. Mm-hmm. You know, I just go out, go to like a spooky art show or what have you, which is why... I responded when someone put on Facebook, a a gal I know, she said, who wants to go? Now, to use the term estate sale would make it sound like someone had died. Nobody died. I always think someone died. Yeah. I think it's most commonly used for that. Uh, No one died in this story. Well, what kind of spooky gab is this, Marshall? (laughs) Horror movie peripheral. But it was more of a moving sale, but it was all being handled by an estate sale company. So it was on an estate sale website for actress activist Rose McGowan. Whoa. Right? How does one hear about these sorts of things? I mean, I know a friend she, told you, but how she, Well, does she she's wired out? in with estate sales. Like, like she actually... Like her thing. Yeah. And she said, like, who wants to get up early and go? And it starts at 8 a.m. Ooh. So, like, I got up at 6, which is pretty early for me. I'm just like, I wanted this. <laughs> <laughs> I chose Where, to get up this early. What part of town was the sale in? In the Hollywood Hills. Ooh. In her home. It wasn't like an auction house or anything. It was just I like, see. hey, everybody, go to her house. She wasn't there. Yeah, of course. Which 
I mean, usually they're dead for estate sales, mm -hmm. so of course they wouldn't be there, but like... I would also presume if her name's on it, if it's like, this is Rose McGowan's, that she's going to make herself scarce. Well, so scarce she was in Europe. Uh-huh, sure. But I was like, when I, I saw that on Instagram, I was like, okay, good, because it would be weird for me to just be like, hey, got any cool stuff? <laughs> I'm a stranger in your house. like, hey, Rose. Yeah. Yeah. Like, ah, oh, five bucks. I'll give you 250 Yeah. Um, I didn't haggle. I just, because I'm, I'm not... A big haggler. Uh -huh. And plus, you're in someone's home. Sure. Right? Yeah. So anyway, uh, there was a whole bunch of us. It was raining, so that a lot of people were just sort of like trying to jam into like the garage. We, we were given numbers. I was number 24. 24 wow. through the door. Oh, okay. So you get dibs if you show up earlier. Yeah, if there's something... You, I, that's Yeah, at least, at least with this. Uh, what did your number look like? Just someone wrote 24 on a Sticky? sticker okay. and put it on me. Got it. Um... I had to sign two waivers for, um, th there was... NDA, like, you can't take pictures of the inside of her Well, you, you or... could take pictures. They said, like, no media. But, no, it was because there was two camera crews. Huh. Yeah. Got it. A million-dollar listing was uh -huh. one, and I think okay. her own, like, documentary, or wow. she has something on E. I went on line to look up this whole thing, and I'm like, really? She's having a sale of all her stuff. Well, she's selling her house. mm so I wasn't just romping through her house. It was her house with all of her stuff taken out. Sure. Except for the stuff she's selling or, uh -huh. you know. And in the article, it says that she's selling her house to pay for legal fees because Weinstein, Weinstein's Oof. suing her. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. So it feels like a little footnote of history to go to that. Absolutely. With everything that's going on. Absolutely. Also, let's bring this back to horror movies because it's a horror movie podcast. Yes, yes. Uh, I'm a fan. Uh-huh. Of Rose McGowan. I have been since Scream, I suppose. As an actress. As a person, a couple years ago, I heard her on the Brett Easton Ellis podcast. Mm -hmm. And then every other podcast she'd go on, I'd be like, oh, she's back. Yeah. And I'd listen to that. So, fan as an actress, fan as a person. You feel like you know her a little bit. Yeah. And among the things that I learned, I didn't know what a uh, cinephile she was, especially in terms of classic films. And that she had, like, co-hosted a show on Turner Classic Movies, hosting uh, wow. classic movies. So there was a few things listed, like like a big Ava Gardner poster, for example. That was one of the big ticket items. I'm not a big ticket guy. <laughs> but I knew and was kind of enchanted with the idea of getting, like, an old Hollywood book. I was like, I bet if I get in there, there's going to be, like, an old biography or something. You know, like, yeah. maybe some old movie stars. Some old, great old Hollywood books from the private collection of cinephile actress-activist Rose McGowan. Star of, for our purposes, Scream, mostly, in common. I'm also a big Planet Terror fan. Yes, same. And did you watch Charmed? Here and there, I did. And you and I visited the Charmed house. Quite by accident. We were on the block to see the Thriller house. Yep, and it's just a few doors down. Yeah. Uh, speaking of being Charmed... Ah? Uh, okay, here's something I got. It's an attractive dog. Looks like an ashtray. Maybe it's for keeping pennies in. Uh-huh. And on the bottom... Whoa! It says, made in occupied Japan. You got this at the estate sale? I did. It was on oh a table of, goodness. like, porcelain dogs. Made so, in occupied Japan. The only other time I'd seen something made in occupied Japan, the young lady who got me into this, uh, Carly, Carly Gold... For the shout out, she had like a salt and pepper shaker set that was like really kitschy. It was like a naked lady. You've told me about that. I did because yes. I was so jazzed I by it. 
and on the bottom, she's like, check this out. And it's like, made in Occupy Japan, which means it was made between 1945 and 1952. Holy cow. When we were occupying yes. Japan. So like when they exported their products, that's what it would say on it. And it's just a nice little thing. I've been uh, enjoying kitschy porcelain figurines. That is quite charming. What a strange... Talk about kitsch. And it was in my price range. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So, found what I was looking for. Ooh. A, uh, you'd call this a coffee table book, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Called The Noir Style. This is exactly what you were looking for. I knew I'd find something. Okay, very cool coffee table book. Very, very cool. All about noir. So, All about noir. You know, there's plenty of aspects of old Hollywood I'm just impartial about, but I love me some noir. And now uh, as a conversation piece, you know, it's like sitting out on my coffee table. You're like, oh, noir. And I'm like, yes, well, that is from the uh, private, private collection, collection. Private collection uh-huh. <laughs> of cinephile, horror movie actress, actress activist, Rose McGowan. Worth a 6 a.m. wake up, I'd say. And then I picked up something for you. Hollywood Murders, Accidents, and Other Tragedies. The book is called Cut. Shut up. As big as the book is, wow. it's sort of divided by how they died. That's fun. A real big section is natural causes. That's the big sleep section. Mm. Oh. But as you get further, it's like overdoses and murder. Well, thank you, Marshall. That You're is welcome. so cool. And whenever people ask, I can say this is from the private collection of one <laughs> Miss Rose McGowan. Also from the book section, I found this one. Backwards and in heels. That that's a <gasps> refers to Ginger Rogers book. specifically. Yeah. Everything Fred Astaire could do, she could do backwards and in heels. That's right. But um going there as a fan. Of not only her uh, her work, but her activism. I thought it would be nice to, if I could go home with a book about women in film. Absolutely. Specifically. Wow. That's so, awesome. Found that. That was in the bedroom where there was mostly clothes. But also some books. <laughs> and in the kitchen area, I picked up <laughs> a Ramones bowl and plate set. <laughs> How strange. Now, oh I know that gosh. she was uh, personal friends with uh, one of the Ramones. Weird. Hey, ho, let's go, they say. Yep. Not made in occupied Japan. You you check the bottom. Okay. (laughs) Very Um, cool. So that's going to be cool. You'll have to have a tiny bowl of cereal from that. Yes. So far, I've been watching Planet Terror. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of which, I got a limited edition uh, steel case of Planet Terror. Shut up! From the private collection of Rose McGowan. Unopened. Wow. Now, I've been reading her book, Brave, for these last couple of days. Um, Not a great experience filming Planet Terror. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah. Uh, Still, big fan. And now when I watch it, I'm watching her copy. That's awesome. Which... Uh, you know, they were trying to move furniture and jewelry and, you know, like, like high-end fashion sure. and, and things like that. They really weren't worried too much about DVDs. So I, I walked away with a few. Yeah. Now, I went back and re-listened to the raw recording of you and I for our love obsessions, mm-hmm. where we talked about Devil in the Flesh. Yeah. But we... <laughs> God, I forgot about that It movie. didn't make the cut. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I cut it for time. Yeah. What a ridiculous movie. But in it, you said that you watched it with your friend Matthew. I did. And that he's just a really big fan of it. Yeah, it's ridiculous. He showed it to me. He was like, you have to watch this crazy movie. That was your first time seeing it? Mine, yes. Okay, well, I want you to drop something off to Matthew. (gasps) Whoa. Yep. 
Oh my god, he's gonna lose his damn mind. I'll open it, make, make sure there's something in there, actually. Dude, there you go. Wow. DVD of Devil in the Flesh. That is so awesome. And I got it. I got one more thing for you. He thanks you. From my early morning trip through Rose McGowan's stuff. <gasps> Whoa! It's a copy, a DVD of Scream Next from Rose McGowan's personal collection. Unlike my Planet Terror, that one is not in the wrapper. Oh, and by the way, in reading her book, Brave. Yes. She had a good experience on Scream. And has warm things to say about Wes Craven. Wow. Thanks, Marshall. All right. That's now, incredible. Now, what I'll be hanging on to is this bad boy. Damn! A VHS copy. A VHS that's copy scream. of Scream. Oh, that's, that, that's a real, that's a real fruitful adventure you went on. Warning. We interrupt this presentation with the following urgent message regarding the stuff. If you see it in stores, call the police. If you have it in your home, don't touch it. Get out. The stuff is a product of nature, a deadly living organism. It is addictive and destructive. It can overcome your mind and take over your body. And nothing can stop it. Cat. Yes? It's, it's been a long time coming. You mean the topic of this episode? Yes. Yes. And the topic is... The Stuff, a movie with no sequels, no franchise, no comic book adaptations of it. It really just stands alone, which after like our last episode was Los Angeles, and that was like a, that was a big episode for us to get in. We wanted to do something that was smaller and something that I knew we both enjoyed, and that thing was The Stuff. Do you remember showing this film to me? I do. Years ago? It was, I think, the first movie I bought just to show you. I remember you made quite a deal about it. And you were like, you got to see this movie. Yeah. And I think... It was, it was well before our podcast. Yes. When we were just getting together and I was like, I'm the one who lived through the 80s. Yeah. I mean, so did you, but yeah. like, as as a horror movie viewer. Sure. So it, here's a bunch of 80s stuff. I think about why it was such a big deal and why it made a, an impact on me when you showed it to me. And it's, I think it's because it's maybe was the first kind of campy, low budget, like 80s horror film. Besides the stuff I saw as a kid when I couldn't quite comprehend it. Well, like, let's, and let's, or like. Let, so, let's switch to saying the things you saw as a kid. The stuff. Oh, Our topic is the stuff. Oh my goodness. Did I say stuff? Yeah. Oh, this is going to get confusing. Okay. It's like when we did witches and you kept having to over-enunciate witch. Witch. Um, so at any rate, uh, so for example, I saw Killer Clowns from Outer Space as a kid, but that movie just scared me a lot. Um, and I didn't quite understand until I got older, like, oh my gosh, like this is all so funny and campy and all of that. So when you showed me the stuff, I was like, what? is this because I was an adult and I hadn't seen it. And I was like, this exists. This is crazy. So I have a very vivid memory of watching this with you many years ago. And so I'm glad we're finally able to sit down and talk about it. And share it with the world. Yeah. And for me, my first viewing of the stuff came like a Sunday, Saturday afternoon TV. It probably hadn't been out for super long. Um, but it was, you know, and now the Saturday movie, The Stuff. 
And I think a, a lot of guys my age and gals, but it was guys that I talked about it with, all happened to catch the stuff at some point or another. Like we never went over to each other's homes and said like, hey, I've got the stuff. Yeah. Let's all watch it. We all watched it independently. Because it was what was available to you on the television. Yeah. Yeah. Coming soon for you, the stuff from New World Pictures. Uh, Kat, do me a solid and sum up what the stuff is, 1985. I mean, in a basic sense, the stuff is a film about a gooey substance that is discovered and packaged because it tastes real good. But then... Looks like whipped cream? Looks like whipped cream, I would say. Or melted ice cream? I wouldn't have ever said it looked like melted ice cream, but I know now from watching the commentary that sometimes it was. I would say whipped cream. Looks kind of like whipped cream. It's a fluffy marshmallow fluff whipped cream type of a deal. It's mass produced and mass marketed, very importantly. It's got nice packaging. Nice jingle, and people become addicted to it. And if you start eating it, and you eat enough of it, it takes over your like brain and explodes you from the inside. And that's not good. It can, in self-preservation, exit your body and become like the blob. When I was a little girl, I didn't think there was anything that I liked better than ice cream. Now I'm a big girl, and I've decided there's something I like better much better it's called the stuff and believe me enough is never enough okay well you've described what the stuff in the stuff is yeah as far as the characters in the stuff the main character is mo mo rutherford that's right the good old boy ex-fbi agent turned corporate saboteur who is hired by a concern of ice cream magnates to investigate and hopefully disrupt the growth of the product of the stuff, which at the time is just considered to be just like the greatest new dessert. They don't know that it's evil yeah, or trying to take over the world or anything. They're just like, everyone's buying this dessert. We got to tamp it down. And I think the fact that you just had to use the phrases corporate saboteur and ice cream moguls kind of gives you a good indication for me why when you asked me to describe it i started describing what i found the most enjoyable about it which is the stuff the very concept yeah Yeah. and if there were to be and and part of what i really like about this movie is all of its potential and everything it tried to do you were texting me and saying how it tries sometimes successfully to be so many things so many things yeah it's a real banquet (laughs) that is a very generous way and for years, I thought, man, wouldn't it be great to see a remake of the stuff? And any time the conversation turns to that, what would you like to see be remade? My answer would be the stuff. Because as a story, we have not become less of a consumer society or less of a addicted society. And I would like to see the stuff done with better special effects, yeah. frankly. And I enjoyed the special effects, but I know what you mean. Yeah, and they were all practical, all pre-CGI. Mm-hmm. And as I appreciate all of its trying, one thing that I appreciate it's trying is trying to do good special effects. Sure, right. Sometimes really well. You think the stuff is just in the room and there to... 
do battle. Shockingly good. I think because it's kind of put up against other scenes and moments that aren't as great, that when it's really excellent, you're like, oh my God. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, it really stands out. And there's no one way that they did the stuff. There's like several ways that, that they would present this like creamy dessert moving on its own. Yeah. Either a little in the fridge or like a lot in like a lake of it. Yep. As you eventually see. But, uh, Kat, would you like to go just sort of chronologically through this film? Sure. What the hell is this? So smooth. <laughs> it just starts. There's no, like, opening the DVD you gave me. Yeah, well, it, it starts with some guy, just some unnamed yokel. But what I mean is, yes, I understand what scene it begins with. I'm saying the film starts so abruptly. There are no opening titles. It's just scene. Whatever that could be. Mighty good. I think it's important to note that when this gentleman discovers, I don't think we said that plainly. Yeah, this blue it's just bubbling up out of the ground. Discovers, and the first thing he does is taste it. Because, of course, when you find a mysterious substance oozing out of the ground, the first thing you do is put it on your fingers and smell it and taste it. Now, for my proposed remake, yeah. there would be some kind of like psychic draw to it, like that it could actually call you to it. That would make sense. And all, all that scene needed was some like theremin and be like yeah and, and he'd be like you know, no, 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 no. he was feeling some kind of of a way and sure that but as, said, as it me. is he's just a guy who tastes things and he's like hey, hey buddy come over here and taste this <laughs> and his friends are like okay what you doing eating snow and then they taste it so fast forward at least a year yeah and the stuff has become a sensation you scared me you shouldn't be walking around here like this. What are you doing down here? I thought you were a burglar or something. I was hungry. You were hungry. Did you see? See what? It... What's the matter with you, anyway? It was moving. The boy, Jason. Beautiful, bright blue eyes. Beautiful, bright blue eyes. Just gorgeous. And when, when you see, it's like, how they find two boys with beautiful, bright blue eyes. They were real-life brothers. So the guy who plays his brother is his brother. And the guy who plays his dad plays him as a bit of a jerk. Well, I think that's how it's written. Yeah. So that For later... No apparent reason. They can be a happy family. Yeah, I and guess. And the mom's a little... She's not as much a jerk. But even she is just, like, talking like a commercial a few scenes later once mm -hmm. the whole family is on the stuff. Jason, however, sees that, like, the stuff has been, like, tipped over in the fridge and then it's like moving around the fridge, just checking things out. Jason's horrified. Yeah, he's about like 12. Yeah. Nobody believes him. And he's like, Do you remember? Um, like, uh, this is important for me to yeah. know. As you, you were a kid watching this, uh -huh. were you like completely identifying with the kid? I was identifying. Watching, imagining, like, what if I went to my fridge and my food was moving? That wasn't the scary part. That was just Pee Wee's Playhouse to me. If you open okay. your fridge and your food's up to some business. What was scary was when the whole family turned. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he wasn't safe in his own house. Right. That Fair part was scary. Fair enough. You know, Mr. Uh, Rutherford, Moe Rutherford. Yeah. You know why they call me Moe? No, why? Because every time people give me money, I always want Moe. So then we meet the aforementioned corporate saboteur, Moe Rutherford. Whose accent came about because the actor yep. 
requested Ma- something. Tony Winner, Michael Moriarty. Yeah, he wanted something a little more defining about his character, right? And yeah, um, he wanted kind of something he can hold on if to. If there's one thing that Larry Cohen is good at, it is making decisions and changing things around on the fly. And collaborating. Uh-huh, yeah. Collaborating with actors, incorporating their ideas. For sure. Uh, that being Larry Cohen. The director. The, and writer. And writer. Of the stuff. And previous to the stuff, he got together for the first time with Michael Moriarty for Cue the Winged Serpent, which holds a special place in uh, the hearts of lovers of like B-movies, as it's about like a prehistoric winged beast who nests in the Chrysler building. <laughs> yeah. That sounds fun. And uh, not a lot of permits for the Chrysler building either. He just went in and shot what he had to. I'm almost afraid of everything. I've never been afraid of heights. (laughs) So yeah, Mo Rutherford. Yeah, corporate saboteur. I gotta be honest. As much fun as the stuffy parts of the stuff The sort of invasion of the body snatchers, the blob parts of the stuff. Yeah, this stuff with old mustached white men talking on a yacht. Like railroad and steel magnates. Yeah. And this was before the public image of Ben and Jerry would come out where you're like, ice cream men? Yeah, they're just a couple of hippies in Hawaiian shirts. Yeah, these are businessmen in the most classic sense. And um, I do think... Like, rawr, 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 rawr. Yes, totally. yes, yes. Business, business, Well, business. we've got to get a handle on the stuff. It's going to sure. cost but us money. I thought the stuff with him where he's like running a gun and he's like, hey, I dropped that, that bug, bug in your in pocket. pocket. You've got a sweaty palm here. Yeah. You've got a sweaty palm. you got a room full of sweaty palms. That was, pretty, that was pretty weird. And then I figured out why he was saying they had sweaty palms. He's trying to let and everyone imply know. they're all nervous. Exactly. That stuff, I think it was a little clunky, but more fun than just businessmen rubbing their own bellies and drinking highballs but mo rutherford i think i really appreciate the fact that they gave him this southern kind of like charm thing because i think that's one of the most enjoyable things about him and michael moriarty does a really fun southern accent i really like it he's kind of a little bit sheriff andy taylor a little bit columbo playing it dumber than he is totally but also with a touch of a more knowing kind of lightly insidious thing than a Sheriff Andy Taylor. Sure. But yes. He's he's bad and he knows he's bad. That's right. What does he say? He says something about how dumb he is. Someone's like, you know, Mr. Rutherford, I don't think you're as dumb as you appear. And he's like, nobody's as dumb as I appear. That's right. I really like that line. Yeah. Yeah. That's cute. So he shows up. He agrees to help them out and go figure out what's What's in the the stuff. stuff. Yeah. I wrote and I tried to make my thoughts all touch each other. I wrote, watching the stuff is watching an intelligent actor improvise lines for a silly movie, playing an intelligent guy in a silly movie who is playing dumb. Mm. And then I just wrote, there's a A lot lot happening. A lot happening. A little faster pace, okay? Let's get a little movement into this. Step, step. Let's see the bathing suit. Okay. I want wonderful smiles. You've got that happy? Is it good? Okay. Now I want you to feed each other the stuff, both with nice mouths on your face. I guess after he can't, in a laboratory, figure out what's in the stuff, his second step is to, I'll just say, cozy up with the woman who is in charge of the advertising campaign. That all went down really strangely. There's a lot of scenes missing. But I do love... Of them creating a romance. There have to be. Or they were just like, like uh, all of a sudden, the audience will fill in the blanks here in their yeah. brains. Because I was like, huh? She's a dame and he's a fella. Of course they're going to get together. But I think the scene where he comes in to kind of like meet her, 
is one of the most fun for me because you all the, all the women up. in fur coats with bathing suits feeding each other and themselves that's right the stuff they're filming a commercial they're sexualizing a feed it to each other and they're trying to make the stuff really sexy and that marketing stuff the consumerism the stuff of the stuff that stuff is really intriguing to me and fun some of the most fun stuff about the movie some of the most fun scenes in the movie man i'm realizing now how much i use the word stuff you do so he hooks up with this woman Literally and figuratively. Yeah, by like posing as an oil tycoon. Yeah, he's like, Saying I want to bring you on to my project and blah, blah. And she's like, ooh, you can get me some business, JK. I don't really care about my career as much as I do about, I got to get in the bone zone with this hot southern gentleman. Oh, I, I thought she was doing that for her career. Mm, and then, you it's know. It's really unclear. I feel like you can interpret it myriad ways because it's not it's all left up to you yes it's not terribly defined so your truth is your truth and there are many other truths meanwhile young jason freaks out in a grocery store oh that's right marshall that's something interesting to note is that we started this movie kind of with the potential for what i i would have really enjoyed is following this kid for the majority of the film. I wish he could have kind of been our protagonist in some ways. That would have been a very different movie. He really did help me and probably a lot of people who caught it young really glue on to the film. as like... Oh, I see what you did there. Like sticky. Yeah. Like the stuff. Like the stuff. <laughs> I'm thinking about the marshmallow fluff that you and I just ate that was a lot stickier than I thought it was And you were just be. like, keep it out of your mustache, buddy. <laughs> yeah. You won't get that shellac out for days. Yeah. Hey, give me that. Hey, give me after having seen the stuff moved and being ignored by his family, he's in a grocery store and he sees people buying the stuff and he sees a little kid about to eat the stuff and he just starts smacking it out of people's hands, knocking it out of display cases. Let's just say this scene must have been like the most fun day of this kid's life yeah. thus far. And he's he just gets pouring it on the floor and people are slipping in it. And, he, and then there's this like big pyramid display of the stuff. He does what we've all wanted to do to those. Just, just knock it down. Bowling pins it down. And of course, there's nothing in most of those. They don't cups. even sound like it. They just kind no. of go, punk, 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 But punk. it's fine. Yeah. And actually breaks the glass on a. Uh, that, that's when they get them. Rather than open the freezer door and pull out more of the stuff, which it's never really clear if it's to be refrigerated or not. Right. It's probably just better refrigerated. Yeah. Let's, just kind of make your choice. Yeah. Like coffee. I like mine cold. All right. He just breaks the glass of There's the freezer case. He could open it up. Yeah, and then starts doing what he can with like a broom handle when they finally like tackle him to the floor. Yeah. Hello, Mr. Vickers. I called you about an appointment. Oh, sure. The man from Consumer Magazine. Oh, that's right. Well, come on. Is he friendly? It's absolutely harmless. Mo goes to see Danny Aiello, who is the only person from the FDA they can find who ever had any dealings with the stuff. That's the uh, Food and Drug Administration. Mm -hmm. And his character has a dog. A Doman Pincher. Yeah. Who I tried to research. I'm like, man, Doman Pinchers used to be like the dog. And there were whole movies about Doman Pinchers. Back in the 70s, when they were a much more popular dog. The Doberman Gang. Six savage Dobies with a thirst for cold cash that leaves banks bone dry. The Doberman Gang. But Danny Aiello, who's like, this is my harmless dog. But he's like constantly afraid of the dog. And talking about how much he loves the stuff. And then after 
Michael Moriarty leaves, he's like, hey, Ben, dog's name is Ben, you've been a good boy. We both deserve a treat. And then they're going to go and eat the stuff. And then they cut back to a little later. It should have been all part of one scene, but they just sort of cut back to it. Him being attacked by the dog. And is it because he said too much? Was that dog there as like a literal watchdog to make sure he didn't blab about the stuff? Ooh. Maybe. But he's also going like, no, I'll buy more. As if they've run out of stuff and the dog is attacking him. Yeah. Before you see a fake dog head with the stuff emerging from its mouth, you get a wonderful scene of Danny Aiello getting licked by a Doberman Pinscher with barking over top of it. And he's there going like, no, no, no. And you hear the ruff, 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 ruff. But when you're looking at it, it's just a Doberman licking playfully yeah. at Danny Aiello. There's no attacking happening. It was like Bela Lugosi with the octopus leg. Somebody misplaced the octopus motor. So when you get in there and fight with him, shake his legs around. It looks like he's killing you. And then came a part that I really do and did find, like, genuinely creepy and, and the way it was set up too so it's just mo continuing his investigation he goes to a, the stuff stand and you just see like a lot of people and families and cars it's nighttime it looks like a, like a nice summer night going to get the stuff and i know what you're gonna say then he goes it's 2 30 in the morning and the scene that you're already watching takes on a Suddenly whole new dark yeah shift nothing's changed that you're looking at but now with that added information, you know, you might as well have gone, they're all cannibals mm-hmm. or what, what have you. Some yeah. new bit of information that just says like, oh, these are all sick people. Right. This can't be good. Who if, have already had this stuff. Mothers and children are at a food stand at 2.30 in the morning. Right. Because they got to have. With, with no sign of stopping. You picture all these families just at home being like, hey, you know it'd be great? If some, we all got the stuff. stuff. Yeah. Like, sure. Yeah. And they all wind up there at 2.30 in the morning. Yeah. Simple, but, oh, very potent Mm -hmm. for me. Just the the idea of, um, well, of addiction, frankly. Absolutely, yeah. The stuff, the taste that makes you hungry for more. The stuff, taste that delivers. We're getting a real body snatcher vibe. We're going to go into the blob part of the movie. And in the meantime, though, is my favorite part of the movie as far as it's unachieved potential the ghost town and unfortunately the ghost town is like three houses in this movie like they never go further than like three properties Mm -hmm. in what's supposed to be the town that the stuff was test marketed in this town in Virginia and Mo Rutherford goes there and it's all empty there's no empty streets, there's no empty schools, there's no empty public pools and all those great creepy things that emptiness can add to. No empty playgrounds with just a swing in the breeze. There's just three houses whose lawns haven't been cut. And if this were remade, oh, the ghost town that you know a good budget can yeah. deliver, I think would be really great. And then we meet the gas station guy. So there's a couple people left behind kind of like the guy in Children of the Corn, just like, folks around here like to be left alone. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of another character who research shows me Larry Cohen also wrote in Return to Salem's Lot, a movie that, eh, it's no Salem's Lot. Mm-hmm. 
but it's got this great sort of like daywalker character who's like the caretaker of the vampires and he just runs the gas station and that's just his lot in life and he's like the second class citizen in this vampire society but he's like well that's what i'm here for you know Mm -hmm. i'm the daytime guy i'm to keep the strangers on the road what have you Mm. what can i do for you fill her up fill her up uh there's nice clean restrooms out there if you want to the gas station guy his whole thing is getting mo into the bathroom which seems a little weird and then you figure upon third viewing for me oh there must be a bunch of stuff in the bathroom that's just gonna blah get him because he's like don't you want to go wash your hands? I just put in a new towel. It's like, easy, old man. I don't need your bathroom. And then he runs into, um, before going to the general store and meeting that guy, who plays it as like a very sort of sad, just like put upon by addiction kind of guy who's just like, won't you just leave us alone? Well, whereas the other guy's like, hey, stranger, get in my bathroom. He's just like, just leave me alone. Just leave me with my stuff. In between those two, he meets Chocolate Chip Charlie, played by Garrett Morris. Yep. Seems like a crazy character. Mm-hmm. Until I learned, like, last year that he was based very much... On Famous Amos. On Famous Amos. Which I know nothing about. Um, but I do find the name Chocolate Chip Charlie really racist, and I just had to say that. Well... There's no famous reason he had to Famous uh, yeah. was a black man. Yeah, but... Calling him Chocolate Chip, I feel like, is like, wouldn't it be funny to name the black guy Chocolate Chip Charlie? Think about how cute that'll be. You're Chocolate Chip Charlie. Well, I sure as hell ain't the Kentucky Colonel. He's the king of chocolate chips. That's true. Based on an actual man of color who first he was, I have learned from his Wikipedia page, a talent agent. Mm-hmm. And he handled a lot of big acts of the day. And then around 1975 with investor Marvin Gaye, Opened up a famous Amos Cookies right here in Los Angeles. Wow. He's from Tallahassee, Florida, and he goes around with, like, a straw hat and a Hawaiian shirt. I'm in a supermarket. I'm in convenience stores. I'm in department stores. I'm in service stations. I'm in airports. I'm on television. That's what makes Amos famous. All of Garrett Morris's boasting of how great he is in karate would make it a very comical character. But as far as him being a cookie magnate, that's just... Straight Famous Amos. Yeah, for That sure. is the Famous and Amos story. Garrett Morris is very good in this. I think he's really funny and great on screen. And the two of them develop an immediate buddy movie. Like, speaking of missing scenes, just like the woman, whose name I've never committed to memory, the woman character, mm-hmm. and Mo just invariably falling in love. Uh, falling into bed. Yeah, Chocolate Chip Charlie and... Mo Rutherford are immediately in like a buddy movie. They're immediately Butch and Sundance. Mm-hmm. I like to think that they got along off screen and that just bled on screen because they're basically like finishing each other's sentences within a minute. I hope you got a gun on you, Charlie. How many times must I tell you my hands are lethal weapon? Yeah, I hope you're right because if that thing tries to kill me, you kill me first. So good. It's a buddy movie too. In a ghost town. And that's when I realized, cat. I don't want to see a remake of the stuff. I want to see a prequel. I want to see the stuff being introduced to that town in Virginia as a test marketing town. And everyone in the town getting addicted to the stuff. 
and one at a time getting their family addicted to the stuff until everyone's on the stuff. And then everyone starts moving to this other place in Georgia, which is what happens yeah. in the movie. They all go to where the stuff comes out of the ground to work in the plant. And they all become slaves to the stuff. I'd watch That's that. the movie I want to see. I want to see not a remake of the stuff, but a prequel to the stuff. I'd so watch um, that. somebody make that happen, will you? And you've got my ticket. Is that dinner? Oh, we're dieting. I've lost five pounds already this week, and I've never felt better. Why are you talking like you're on a commercial? Meanwhile, Jason's family has reached full stuff. This is some of the They're most stuffed with stuff. fun. Terrifying. I was trying to think of a way to say it that was not the most fun stuff. <clears throat> this is some of the... These are some of the most fun moments in the film. Uh-huh. Is when Jason, our, our young protagonist, is observing his family going, as you say, full stuff. They've thrown out all their food yep. that's not the stuff. Well, they don't desire anything that's not the stuff. Yeah. They're it, not hungry they're all on, They're on a full stuff diet. They're, they're like super happy. The mom's talking like it's a commercial. But the brother gets like aggressive, though. He's like, what do you do? It's like, you eat it. And when you're done eating it, you eat some more. So it's like, they're more stuff than man at mm-hmm. this point. I never get tired anymore. We don't get tired now that we've been eating properly. One thing that Larry Cohen pointed out in the commentary, he was like, you know... I wanted to show the stuff as having, like, in some ways, not necessarily a bad effect. Ultimately, if everyone in the world, just like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, if everyone got snatched, there would be world peace, but at what price? Right. At the loss of so individuality. So his parents are very, very pleasant toward him. Yeah. I'm not saying it's preferable to have his dad, like, smacking him around, but, you know, they're not real people anymore. Their, their humanity's getting lost. Oh, and when he's, he's trying to talk them out of it still, and it's just a losing battle... And the dad just goes, it kills the bad things inside us. And I found that line, like, so chilling. Ooh. I wrote here, like, he's cheering on his own murder. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Absolutely. And he's, it's killing off his humanity. So, as a kid, more, who's, you know, if your safe haven's your home. That's, like, home base. If anything's after you, well, you just get home. You're pretty much okay. But at home, there's just, like, nowhere to run as they force him to eat the stuff. But... He kind of uh, tricks him for a little bit. He's like, I'm going to go uh, go eat this stuff upstairs. Dumps in the toilet. And then he fills up his stuff container with shaving cream. You have to wonder. Yeah. I wondered. Yeah. And I think the way you explain this away is, well, he was using kid logic and he was scared. Why didn't he just dump it out and then come out and, say, and I'm done. it on his spoon and go, man, oh man, that was tasty. Yeah, he's he's got to come down eating shaving cream. you got to fill it up cream. with shaving cream and then eat the shaving cream. I has more movie logic that they needed a reason for his uh, parents to chase after him once the dad like put his fingers in the shaving cream and, and ate it. I kind of just threw up in your car. I know. I'm sorry. I mean, That's I just right. ate shaving cream. Everybody has to eat shaving cream once in a while. All right, Kat. Now we come to the uh, the part of the show. There's my bowl. Oh, no. Shaving cream. Oh, my God. I'm not eating that. Oh, no, I don't expect you to. (laughs) But I want you to be ready with what they say that the family mostly ate, which is half-thawed-out kind of melty Haagen-Dazs, which I have over there in the corner. So you prep that Haagen-Dazs, and I'm going to prep this shaving cream. Here I go. Oh, my God. Okay. For years... Every time you watch the stuff, I've been watching the stuff on and off since like, you know, the late 80s. And I've seen this kid take down what I'm being told was shaving cream. This is definitely more as than a, I thought. As an 
ultimate sacrifice. Uh, do we have any clean spoons? Well, yeah. I'm just going to use this one. It's got, still got some marshmallow on it. All right. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's all soup. That's like, that's... Do you still want it? Yeah, hell yeah. Okay. It's vanilla haagen she's she's putting in there. Ever tell about the first time I went to a not-scary farm? I don't think you did. I ordered a, a vanilla milkshake, and they gave me just, like, a cup of soft-serve ice cream, which I just had to wait for it to melt. <laughs> I was like, oh, milkshake That's enough. That's really funny. Yeah. Okay. I got well, this is good. All right. Cat's eating the haagen -Dazs. Okay. And you really don't have to eat shaving cream. As Mo Rutherford says, once he comes and picks up the boy and takes him away from his stuffied family, sometimes you man's got to eat shaving cream. I guess so. Okay, there we go. You can just stick it on your tongue. Ugh. <laughs> oh my god. As a texture, it's not terrible. Oh, As man. a texture, it's basically just like, it's just like uh, actually ice cream or the stuff or, you know, just any kind of cool whippy. <laughs> Oh, God. I can verify for the listening audience that Marshall actually but, ate and swallowed probably a good teaspoon of shaving cream. Okay. Eat something else. Take some. But, huh? No, Marshall. Oh, 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 oh my God. You're like 10 years old right now. I'm not going to lie. It looks good. It's perfumed. Uh-huh. You know. Oh, it's all in my teeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm uh, going to wash that down with something. Hold on a second. Let me, let me get some of the uh, melty haagen here. Yeah, that's going to be much better. Marshall's now drinking melted ice cream, just FYI. <sighs> All right, Kat? Yes. I've tried shaving cream, and I've tried haagen Not to say I'll stick with haagen Okay. Okay. At least you tried. You feeling a little better? Would you open the window now? Open the window? Mm-hmm. So finally, the two main characters are together. Jason and Moe. And then they go to pick up the lady, and they all go to Georgia together. They're going to tour the factory? Did we do that already? They're on their way to tour the factory. Yeah, because there's a line that's very important to me to oh, yeah. talk about, which is how she says, I hope you don't mind that I brought my male secretary, Roger, along. He's very creative. Yeah. So in one sentence, she's trying to intimate, uh, first of all, that they would find it strange that she'd have a male secretary, so she had to emphasize that he is a male because secretaries are everyone knows supposed to be female secondly that he's very creative i think she's trying to say don't worry i know it's weird that i have a male secretary but also he's gay i feel like that's what oh. she's trying to say i could be wrong but i'm like i feel like she's trying very desperately to make the men comfortable. I, I, I thought that was like just a jab at him just like a playful just sort of like i'm in charge and you're just my secretary because everything after a certain point in their relationship, actually start from the very beginning of their relationship, he's always had the upper hand. Either, mm, or that shaving cream aftertaste just came up. Oh my God. It's like drinking aftershave or, you know, just any um, cologne or, yeah, their whole relationship, even though he was pretending to be somebody else, he always had like the upper hand. And now she's just like, here's my male secretary. I think you're giving it too much credit. He answers I think to me. it's just an incredibly juvenile moment. And or not very thought through. There are so many moments, have you noticed, where I'm like, well, I thought this was happening. You're like, interesting, because I thought this was happening. It's because it's not well done. Well, really, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to throw so much shade. This movie is fun, but I think there's so much about it that I'm like, wow, it is 
I don't think it was made to hold up under scrutiny. No, because it just was kind of thrown together needlessly in certain moments where it's like you could have thought this thing out and Mm -hmm. it just feels like you didn't. Um, And so that that kind of stuff kind of frustrates me. Makes feel choppy. Yeah. I did enjoy the movie. I don't mean to sound completely negative. It's just like this is my male secretary. He's very creative. I'm like, oh, ha, ha, ha. I bet he can't type either. They get a little tour of the factory, and the people who are working there are the same people. It's implied from Virginia that the ghost town, they all work there now. They're like, we love this stuff so much. They've all been taken over by it. Now they're just drones to the stuff. I want to thank you for the wonderful job you people have been doing down on Madison Avenue. Oh, it's very easy to sell a product when people like it so much. Yes, we like it ourselves. Sometimes it's tough to keep the workmen from eating up all the profits. I bet. Though I do have to wonder, how does the stuff choose who becomes like just a floor worker and who becomes like a... Is, is it like whatever job you already had, you'll just get some kind of stuff factory equivalent of it? The mysteries of the stuff are many and sundry, and we're not meant to completely understand everything about how this thing works. That's yeah. what I think. Okay. Well, they put them in a, we, we got a motel for you. So they go to the motel so that we can get this scene. So uh, Mo and the young lady, whose name we've never named, the woman, the only woman in the movie, really, they're in the hotel and their pillow just sort of like gets kind of big and then explodes with the stuff. And it like gets on his face and she's got to burn it off by basically lighting his face on fire. And meanwhile, a stuffy, that's what they call them, the people taking over the stuff, he runs in. And I guess their whole mattress was just full of the stuff and it knows when to attack. So it's like attack and it attacks the first thing, which is the guy. And that's when they use the same gimbal room from Nightmare on Elm Street. Yep. I guess Nightmare on Elm Street was like the year before and had used this room for when the girl gets like attacked and like gets scooted up the wall. Tina. Tina. Yeah. So it's the Tina attack room remade as a hotel room so that when the stuff comes out, gravity just has to make it just one direction but it looks like now that it's just sort of going climbing the walls climbing the walls engulfing the guy that is directional and just like that doberman had to be sort of encouraged you can see the guy as he gets hit with the stuff he then has to sort of lean into it like it, it only mostly gets him yeah at first and this is not the kind of thing you get much of a take two on. Sure. So then he just kind of like leans a little more into it. Much he's like kind of pushing himself up the wall. Yeah. Well, the room's also doing its job. It is. And, yeah. and it looks great. Also, it, does, it looks really cool. Going way back to the ghost town when Mo and Chocolate Chip Charlie are running from some stuffies. They get in a boat and one of them like catches up to them like a little sooner than they should have. And actually helps them push the boat <laughs> into the water. <laughs> That's but kind of still kind of looks like he's trying to attack them, but really he's just, like, getting them out into the river. That is charming to me. Because I imagine it's like, oh, we don't have time to do this again, so it's just going to have to work. Yeah. And that actor was trying to do his best to, like... Like, I'm attacking you! Absolutely. Push. But that's the kind of stuff in a B-film where you just go, like, hey, look, they're doing their damn best. Yeah. And it's kind of cute. I didn't even notice that. But it's cute when you know. It helps to watch it over and over. Yeah. are they doing? That stuff comes right out of the center of the earth. And straight into our supermarkets. 
You mean they don't process it or, or, or manufacture it at all? No, they siphon it right off and into the trucks. And we see where the stuff comes from. Whereas before it was just sort of like leaking out of one tiny fissure in the ground. Now there's a lake of the stuff. And we see them like putting it into tanker trucks and driving away with it. And now the movie takes on sort of an action movie tone as he goes around setting detonators. That whole sequence to me makes the movie feel a lot bigger. Like that's one of the best moments where it feels bigger than it is, I guess. They did a good job. Yeah. That. And he makes off with a truck and the boy's trapped inside the truck. And that's kind of scary. The effects, not great. I don't know if that was like rear projection or, or what to like stick him in the same room as right. some of the moving stuff. That's done a little better later when once again he's, he gets attacked by the stuff a few times. This poor kid. <laughs> he handles it all right. Yeah. But um, yeah, he goes through a lot. This kid's seen some stuff. <laughs> I'll say. But now threats are everywhere. It's like they own the police. Where can you turn? So he turns to a completely unexpected character. A real left turn for this movie. Enter Paul Sorvino as the military, like militia guy, former mm -hmm. U.S. military mm -hmm. figure. Yep. Rich. Sure. Apparently he owns like radio stations. Uh-huh. Conspiracy theorists, definitely. This character was my introduction to the idea of people distrusting fluoridated water. Something that I would see again in a few years when I watched Dr. Strangelove. Mm -hmm. When I heard that in the movie them believing that communists put fluoride in the water as part of like a mind control plot yeah i was like oh yeah just like uh the colonel and the stuff that was what he thought was happening and uh, now if you listen to alex jones they're trying to turn the frogs gay have you heard all Th that oh through fluoridated water or just uh, in general I forget. something uh i don't know if it has anything to do with water it just as he believes the government is turning the frogs gay well only slightly less crazy is uh paul servino mm -hmm. as the colonel who runs an army mostly made of teenage boys. There is no match for the American boy. We have never lost a war. What about Nam, sir? We lost that war at home, Sonny. He's a real number. He sure is. And another, like, New York actor who Cohen says that, like, he finds all of his actors in this one restaurant and uh, is like, oh, Paul Servino, how would you like to play yeah, this character? The picture he painted um, talking about that, he referenced a, a restaurant that he would go to and that a lot of, like, directors and producers and actors and actresses would yeah. go to and to mingle and whatever. And he's like, I'd go there and I'd get to bend their ear and say, here's why you should come be in my movie. And I'm like, what a fun little F factoid. Fun way to do business. Yeah. I kind of like the sight of blood. Well, this is disgusting. So he doesn't take a ton of convincing to just show up at the factory and just start raising hell. Well, how often do you think he gets to have an adventure like this? Or be told that he's right. Yeah. Because, like, people are putting something in the food. Um, but he's like, you commie bastards! <laughs> and it's just like, uh, just let him believe it's the communists. Totally. Anything that'll get him involved. And so, trivia, the stuffies running around in yellow jumpsuits getting shot at by his tiny army. Somewhere among them is future Oscar winner and daughter of Paul Servino, Mira Servino. I don't know if anyone's ever been able to point her out. Yeah. But that this is her first time on film. So, well done. It's pretty fun. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, I like acting. Okay. I contacted you about this next part because I just found it appropriately creepy in the moment 
and then a lot creepier as I looked back and compared it to Jonestown. And that is just a line over the loudspeaker, follow the agreed upon cause of action. And what that meant was everyone expel your stuff and it'll turn into the blob and then it'll flee or fight them or whatever. Then there's just all these basically looks like suicided bodies, just like a room full of them and creepy for what it is. And then thinking perhaps it was inspired by Jonestown. I then said, cat, could you illuminate me more on Jonestown? And you said, resounding, yes. <laughs> yes, of course. I can. Did you think this sort of echoes that? Sure. The scene I, in, yeah. in this silly film? I mean, I know that Jonestown has been a part of the public consciousness. Well, what year was, was the end of Jonestown? Uh, the, the mass suicide? 70s? 78. So this was like six years away from Jonestown, still fairly in, in the public consciousness. I know that it was very much in the public consciousness i guess what i'm getting is i don't know because i read and know so much about like serial killers and mass killings and things i don't think i have a good pulse on what the general public knows and how much of it is like common knowledge i think the one thing people know from jonestown is like don't drink the kool-aid of course i'm that person at a party now because i just listened to the last podcast on the left do their whole jonestown thing i'm Uh like oh well you know actually it was flavor aid because it was it wasn't kool-aid but Secondly, I think the important thing to note about Jonestown as well is that when people say don't drink the Kool-Aid or look, he drank the Kool-Aid, they kind of presume that like everyone like voluntarily took this stuff. And while many of them did, there was a lot of like forcing children to drink it and a lot of people felt uncomfortable. All that said, the phrase is kind of used, drink the Kool-Aid, as like, oh... the Join into the group think. Yes. In a pejorative way of like, oh, you've really fallen for that nonsense. I guess the agreed upon cause of action... Makes me think of how they rehearsed it. So what I'm getting, yes, what I was getting to in a long-winded way is to say that I'm not sure, obviously you knew because it came to your mind. I don't know how much the general public knew about what Jim Jones would do over the loudspeakers. So I don't, in that sense, what I'm saying is maybe Larry Cohen did and so he, maybe everyone did. Um, I I think a lot of people did at the time. It was the most recent truly horrible thing to have happened. There wasn't much in the way of American Wars from the end of the 70s yeah. to 85, yeah, we would still be milking Vietnam for a few more years. I guess what I'm saying is I understand that it was a big deal. Yeah. And I understand that hundreds and hundreds, well, and which, hundreds of people Which, uh, for died. people who don't know at all, there was a, we'll call it a cult. It uh, was a cult. Who went, People's Temple. went down to South America to just stay out of the public eye and just li- French, live and be free. French uh, Guyana. Uh, French Guyana? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. And the American government came to poke their nose in things. And at the first sign of trouble, their leader, Jones, of Jonestown, called for a mass suicide. Yeah. And it was pretty horrific. And I don't think the world, forget about America, the world had really seen anything on that level before. And not all of them were suicides. I do think it is important to note. That doesn't really relate to this, but... It's understood that it was, and it's referred to as mass suicide, but a lot of people, it was kind of like there were people with guns. If you don't drink this, we're going to kill you. So they had to. But my point is, it sounds like you already knew when you just referenced. Not, not when I first saw it. Ah. But over the year, like actually this most recent watching of it. Yeah. It all sort of came together for me. Yeah. So, so Jonestown was rigged with loudspeakers and oh they were yes okay he had them everywhere it was like a closed circuit system than what i thought might have been like 
kind of Jonestown-y. Yeah. Now I really think. Absolutely. With the loudspeakers. And what Jim Jones would do, part of kind of like the control was constantly, constantly, he would sit and talk. And it was very, very loud. He would sit in his like office. And just rap over the loudspeakers? rap. Just rattle on, ramble on about whatever nonsense he wanted to spout. And then occasionally, when he was too tired to continue talking, he would like put on a tape of himself talking. So that's one thing that was just a constant like noise. People were constantly inundated with his thoughts and ideas and voice. So well, they were very Because there was that. also earlier in the stuff, as they're working... There's some like sort of directional things like team one, go over here, team two, go over here. But then there's just like the edict of like, there will be no world hunger. Yeah. Once the stuff is, yeah. then it was like platitudes. Mm -hmm. Feels um, very Jim Jonesy. Yeah. I, I, I guess. Think about that. And I'm glad I'm, that I'm just you saying what, what I found to be a creepy moment on film actually had historical context. Yeah, for sure. And then into one of these sillier moments. This movie can really go from like creepy to silly and it's, it's good that way. I know we're really giving it a hard time for certain things. I'm really giving it a hard time and I definitely enjoy this film. I think it's a lot of fun. But yes, it is uneven in the sense that you're just like, what kind of movie am I watching? They fly to a radio station to get the word out about the stuff now that he's seen it for himself. I guess he can be like, I'll warn the world with my radio station. And an unnecessary but invaluable scene. All of these guys with like fatigues and rifles get into just this line of taxis and then just like go down the city street with like guns sticking out the window <laughs> as they all like invade the town in yellow cabs. I don't think it serves a higher purpose. I don't think there's a metaphor there. I think it's just fun. Yeah, and sometimes that's all you need. Pay the drivers. Issue a 10% tip. Get a cash receipt. Yes, sir! Yes, sir. And for the final bit of really scary stuff... Uh-huh. Chocolate Chip Charlie shows back up. And he's like, you guys are going to go on the air. I'm going to be part of it. And he doesn't really explain where he's been or what he's right. been up to. And Paul Sorvito's like, I won't have a colored man talking on the radio. It's like, very well, but if he speaks one word of code or the Communist Party oh, line, word. I'll blow his head off. Oh, boy unnecessary because his head is quickly blown off by the escaping stuff somewhere along the line as to me sort of one of those like sad slash terrifying moments like in invasion of the body snatchers when you find out like they split up and then like the friend comes back later and he's like why don't you just join us uh, doesn't hurt uh, and then there'll be world peace oh boy and you just have to like run a scenario in your head where like he got captured and met his and like force fed the stuff, right. presumably. Yeah. Along the way, or you know, something. We don't have a lot of time. So, are you prepared to say on the air that you've actually seen people devoured by the stuff? Oh hell yes! And what's worse, I've seen what's left of them when the stuff gets through and comes back up. You want to run that by me again? I've seen what's left when the stuff gets through with them and, and comes back out. It sort of vacates the premises when it's through. A lot of the stuff in a small man. He must have been more stuff than man at that point. Which leads me to one of the conversations we had for The Thing, which is, does someone who's been taken over by The Thing know right. they're The Thing? Right. Is The Thing 
which is completely inhabiting that person, functioning as that person until it's time to, like, fight or flight. Right. I don't know. The thing doesn't really give you those answers, and neither does the stuff. But the result is Chocolate Chip Charlie comes apart, basically. Yeah, it's pretty cool. As all the stuff comes out of him into a sound booth, which is a pretty small area with one door and a very thick window that they have to, like, break down to rescue from. And that's the last of the, like, the scary parts of the stuff or the sure. action parts of the stuff. Because how do you really defeat the stuff? Well, this thing that is on its own, fairly benign, but once you add mass marketing to it, it's very dangerous. So the way they wind up defeating it is by going on mass media to tell the world. They need a radio station. There are no amounts of guns, explosives, or fire that has thus far beaten the stuff quite like mass media. Getting the word out. Telling people, don't the word eat out. this. Yeah. And then... It just kind of ends with, like, the woman talking right to the camera. And she's like, and the people did listen. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, is this a documentary now? Right, right. Like, she's talking right to the camera. Yeah. And we get some nice shots of people, like, burning the stuff in bonfires. And they didn't have They're to. They're like, if you have it in your home, cook it. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> cook it? Like, to eat? It's like, mm-hmm. no, no, just burn. Like, it does make it sound like. I think like... the point is that you'll kill it if you heat it up to a certain degree, but cooking yeah. it sounds like you're preparing it for It does make it sound like you've got a good recipe in mind. Yeah. They don't have to burn the billboard for the stuff. They could have just painted over it, but still, mm-hmm. it's like the world turns against this stuff, and they blow up a stuff franchise, which is wonderfully situated between two other fast food restaurants. I know one of them was a McDonald's, mm-hmm. and there's the Golden Arches, and here's another franchise just getting blown up. Yeah. Like, watch your back, McDonald's. <laughs> and the stuff is finished, of course. But look here. Look at the new campaign for the taste. And the ending is one of the ice cream magnates, now with the guy who was, like, the owner of the Stuff Corporation, who was not himself a stuffy. Like, he never eats it, but he's making money off of it, and he knows it's addictive, and he knows it's dangerous. But he's doing it anyways for greed. Mm-hmm. Like, there's different types of dangerous, and some can't help it because they're addicted. That kind of dangerous in this world, you know, they're feeding some kind of chemical need to do something. Yep. And then there's the kind that's just greedy, driven by nothing but the almighty dollar. And that's this guy. Yeah. And he's like, well, the stuff's gone, but I've got the taste. And I don't know who he thinks he's going to fool because it looks exactly like the stuff and its packaging is even the same. It just says the taste. That's a great point. It's like if the people truly revolted against the stuff and understand what it does, then why on earth would they go for this? Go for the taste. Like, oh, man, that stuff is horrible. The taste, however, can't put it down. Yeah. So then he brings in the kid, Jason, and the two of them make these guys at gunpoint start eating a case of the stuff. And Jason's basically like, I've seen a lot of shit. (laughs) Yeah. And they're like, well, and they just put the sounds of sirens over top, which I think just distracted from what I thought was a very chilling moment as these two guys start fighting over the stuff. Because at first they're like, I don't want to eat it. And then they eat more and more. And then one of these like grand old men starts like picking up. The stuff off like the floor. Yeah, that was some really great eating work. It, the two of them and kind of like shoving each other for the stuff. Yeah, I thought that was like really, yeah, really well. It's something we hadn't really seen so far in in that movie. Kind of people being reduced to their animal instincts. Yeah, in that way. Yeah. And then what was historically the early days of crack, which certainly took New York by storm. You get a little street dealing of the stuff. 
it has all the hallmarks of a movie drug deal. Yep. As like the windowless van comes up and they covertly take a box off the back and test it and that good drugs nod. Like, mm, yes. Yeah, that's the stuff. It, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> and then it like freezes on that and being like, the stuff is gone. Or is it? Yep. Don't worry. It'll only be as big as crack. <laughs> right. And that's the stuff. Very big, fluffy, bun. Where's the beef? Some hamburger places give you a lot less beef on a lot of bun. Where's the beef? One thing I have to mention because is the fact that there is a cameo from the Where's the Beef lady in this film. And less bun. Hey, where's the beef? Peller. Clara Peller, who couldn't get out long lines because she had like emphysema. But all she had to get out was, where's the beef? Well, the guy wanted her to say, and we're we're, we're speaking of the uh, Wendy's commercial yeah. in 1984. This they huge to, campaign for the, Wendy's. The guy wanted her to say, where's the rest of the beef? That's what she was supposed to be saying. That wouldn't have sold. Because there was On a big bun and there was supposed to be a little bit of beef. And... Yeah. But because she couldn't get all the words out because of her emphysema, etc., all she could say was, where's the beef? And turns out that was that special sauce. Yeah, just and where's the beef? You get t-shirts with where's the beef? She became a sensation. Where's the beef? She later uh, did another ad for Prego. Yeah. And then goes, I finally found the beef. And then Wendy's was like, eh, we're, we're, this is played out we're now. dropping you. Well, they and felt like it cheapened their ad campaign. A couple years later, she died. Yeah, it's kind of sad. Meanwhile, though, uh, capitalizing on her late in life explosion of fame, she was paid $15,000 more than any other actor or element, I think, in the stuff to say the line, where's the stuff? Opposite The Godfather's Abe Vigoda. How's the food, sweetheart? That's nice. Where's the stuff? It's a pretty great moment. It really is. And as far as like getting someone who's like hot of the moment, I know today we burn through things pretty fast. That just the time between filming someone and putting them in the movie, they can be already. Yeah. In yesterday's news, by the time the movie comes out, I think she was probably welcomed with great guffaws yeah. for anybody who caught this in the theater. For sure. Which, the movie was not a great success, and I think it found its audience on home video. I'm sure in the commentary you heard how about during its New York release, there was a great hurricane that literally blew the stuff sign off the marquee of where it was playing in New York right. and all the newspapers they advertised in didn't get distributed or were soaked beyond use. So, not an auspicious beginning, but uh, it was kind of a slow burn, I think. People would watch it and then thanks to things like the internet and just you know, people being people, would find that other people had also seen it along the way mm -hmm. and picked it up along the way and been like, the stuff? Yeah, the stuff. And it became one of those, you've never seen the stuff, you got to see the stuff. Which is exactly how I saw the stuff. That's how you saw the stuff. Yeah. And, you know, a, a few of just like, remember the stuff? It's like, oh, yeah, the stuff. I used to watch that, you know, on home box office. 
enough is never enough. So yeah, any uh, final thoughts on the stuff? Well, I know I gave it a little bit of a hard time, but I do enjoy this movie. I think everything you just described about how it didn't do very well, but then it gained this audience is one of my favorite things about horror and camp and schlock and B-movies and things that are a little more fringe is that, you know, you th there are all these little nuggets to discover. Mm -hmm. And as with many of the horror movies we make our way through, maybe the whole thing isn't great. Every moment isn't, but there's always something you can find where you're like, that's so fun. A cameo, you know, the where's the beef late. Like, I didn't know she did a cameo in a movie. You know, things like that that are so fun and such little gifts. And when you're not expecting them, you're like, wow, I can't believe that. And I feel like it gives you insight into the time period. And um, so it's, I, yeah, I and, have so much fun. And you didn't have, like, there's no nostalgia attached to this for you. Nope. Other than, other than. Other than being set just in the 80s no marshall oh okay. it's a lot more charming than that oh i have nostalgia for the film because my friend marshall showed it to me years ago i remember that night yeah so i have fond memories of watching it for the first time now i didn't watch it as a kid but i can find things charming that i didn't necessarily grow up with it but sure i, I my favorite things about this movie are the special effects because they're you know practical um a lot of them even it I even enjoyed, um, even though I immediately could tell what they were doing, you mentioned they're like, you know, soundproof glass in the radio station that yeah. very clearly when um, Mo is like busting through it, they like did... Like an optical yeah, drawing they, of, like of shattering drawn... glass because they couldn't really shatter the glass right. of the station. But that creative work where they're like, well, we can't shatter the glass. He'll pretend to. We'll draw it on there with a matte painting or something. And then he'll start hopping through the window. And then the next shot we show of him, he'll be coming out the other side. And it tricks the brain. That kind of practical stuff that you have to do because you don't have the money to do what you would want to do. That's the stuff that's so charming to me. Like, I know I was ragging on some of the stuff feeling thrown together and like, oh, he didn't know what he was trying to do here. That stuff kind of annoys me when it's like not well thought out. But to me, what's so interesting about this is mm -hmm. that you have like elements like that that are just sort of slap shot. Like, oh, I wrote this whole scene in two seconds. It'll, that'll do. And the dialogue is like, what? Versus... In order to get the shot in the hotel room, you got to get this gimbal, you know, do all this. So you have seven yeah. dudes turning it. There's a lot of planning that goes into it. The practical solutions performed pre-CGI. Yeah. For problems of how do I make the fantastical or the impractical possible. Yeah. The impossible possible. Yeah. And I think there is something, I know people are still innovating in the world of film and everything, but there was a certain time period where people were still kind of like figuring out how to do a new creative thing. It's like the Nightmare on Elm Street. They built that gimbal. They yeah. built a room on a gimbal because Wes Craven's like, I want this thing to happen. So they do it. And then other people start using it. And it, it's just very exciting. And I hope to discover more Larry Cohen films. Well, specifically the ones that I'd heard of, but not known that he had anything to do with. I've known about the It's Alive movies for a while. Mm -hmm. I'd seen parts of It's Alive 3, like when I was a kid, and I'd like to go back and see how like it all started. And it won't be on his obituary. It won't be considered one of his great films. But remember that, that slashback video? And oh, um, yes. there's all those horror video boxes, and I literally took pictures of all of them. You know, like, like 18 boxes in every shot, and I just went around the whole thing. 
one of the ones I actually wrote down, I was like, oh, I want to check this out, was Full Moon High, mm. which is just like some kind of a werewolf high school movie. I'm not even sure where it comes in terms of a, I think it's pre-Teen Wolf. I'm happy either way. I'm happy if it's a Teen Wolf ripoff. I'm happy if it was innovative before sure. Teen Wolf. Sure. In any case, I'd really been meaning to watch Full Moon High for a while, ever since I saw the box. And now I know that it's a Larry Cohen film. You're right. He's got this really wild career, like not just the stuff he made, but the people that he worked with. Like he has all these stories about Bernard Herrmann and yeah. like, being really great friends with him. The, of course, that's the man who scored Psycho and many, many, many other things. And then he's like casually talking about how he's talking to J.J. Abrams. Like he know he's very in it. He's well placed. He's, he's yeah. Like you, you get when you reach a certain age, you know, you've got the young guard looking up to you. And you've got your stories about the old guard who you got to associate with, you mm -hmm. know, before their time was up. Yeah. And it takes all kinds. You mentioned I was making some kind of crack about how he likes to talk about himself. And you very generously were like, yeah, he's a master of self-promotion. And I think that's a very kind way to look at it. And I think, you know, it takes all kinds in the world of film to like make different types of films and I enjoy something like the stuff as much as I do something that almost doesn't even feel like they're the same thing meaning that they're both a movie because the stuff is yeah. so different from whatever else he, he wrote the story but for I the uh, the invasion of the body snatchers that takes place on an army base yeah yeah that's just wild so he's been part of our fabric uh -huh. in, a, in more ways than we really realized right. And not in the least of way being the uh, the mind and the man that gave us some good stuff. Well, Marshall, I guess it's time for me to go home and have a midnight snack. Maybe I'll pull it out of my fridge if it's not yeah. already... Already moving? Moving. All right. Um, well, if it is, remember, cook it. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the solution. With a little garlic salt? A little bit. Garlic butter. Yeah, something tasty. All right, folks, thank you for following us uh, this far into all of our stuff about the stuff. Please join us for our next episode. We've got a, what we think is a pretty good one planned. Oh, yeah. Cat's um, definitely excited. Mm -hmm. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, boysandghouls at Gmail is a pretty direct way. Find us on Facebook and follow us on Facebook, if you please. We're also out there with uh, Instagram and Twitter and uh, Tumblr and Pinterest, just sharing, you know, some like fun horror imagery that uh, the internet has to offer. We uh, scoop up and hand right back to you. We always like hearing from you. And thank you so, so much for listening. Kat, any, anything to add? Beware the marshmallow fluff looking treat in your fridge. And as always, beware the moon. Beware the moon.